Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. We're beginning a new teaching series today, and the series is called Branch Out. This series will carry us through January, and we will move... um, Oh, that's the first time I've ever heard Baby May ever even make a sound. Yeah, it's me. I usually do this. I have this effect on babies. It's not her. It's me. Um, But this series will just take us through January. Each January, I like to spend just a few weeks laying out... Um, where we're going collectively as a church this year, what we feel like God has put in my heart and our leader's heart for a direction uh, for us to go strategically in our effort to grow as Christians in our journey of Christ-likeness and how we as a church can be more effective in reaching people outside of the faith for the kingdom of God. Um, And we'll get, by the end of this month, we'll spend more and more time each week talking about that. But here's what I know about myself and about you. We need to let this vision apply to us personally first. So for the first, you know, for the first two parts of this series, we're just going to talk about what it means for me to grow and change as a Christian. How do I know if I'm growing and changing? What should I expect? How does that look like? How does that work? Those are words that we use in almost every church, everywhere. Churches talk about church growth, church health, and uh, the Bible doesn't want that to remain a mystery to us, even though it is kind of mysterious. The cool thing about Um, the Bible, is that it provides for us some things we can use to help us better understand things that are really difficult for our minds to grasp. And so in this series, Branch Out, we're going to be looking at some metaphors and similes that uh, the authors of the Bible introduced to us to help us understand complex things a little more easily. Now, why should you care? Here's why you should care about this series. Because the most important effort you can ever invest in this life is to figure out what you think about God. That's the most important effort. Figure out what you think about God. Who is he and how do you relate to him? Because how you answer those two questions will map out in what direction you're going in life. Are you on a journey of Christ-likeness or are you on a journey of being the best you that you want to be? It will determine whether you are on the path, like we sang about, you know, from Psalm 25. Are you on the path? Are you on the way? Those are metaphors the Bible gives us. The Bible says wisdom is like a path. Wisdom's not a door. In other words, you knock on the door, you open it, and instantly you have wisdom. Wisdom is something you get gradually over time, like walking down a path, not just opening up a door. Okay? That's one of the ways that the Bible helps us grab onto these things. The most important things you can ever settle in life is what do you think about God? Who is he? Who do you think he is? And then based on that, how should you, how do you, if you do at all, how do you relate to him? You answer those two questions with accuracy that puts you on a path towards spiritual maturity. And so it's of critical importance as your pastor. If we are truly committed to being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus, the most important effort that I have as a pastor is to teach you how to think accurately about God. And the source we go to that is not my experience. We don't go to my education. We don't go to the books that I've written. We go to the book that was written from God to us, for us, and that is the Bible. And so the Bible is God's revelation of pulling back the curtain and saying, of all the things that you can't know about me, here's some things you can know and I want you to know. And if you've ever tried to figure out who God is, I'll tell you, it's hard. It's difficult. If you did a woman on the street, man on the street interview, and you can find plenty of YouTube videos where they stick a microphone in someone's face and say, what do you think about God? Who do you think he is? You'll get tons of different answers. They can't all be right. But your eternal future rests on how accurately you're answering the question, who is God? What do I think he is? Who do I think he is? And how do I relate to him? So let me mesh that together. One of the ways the Bible wants to help us understand God, and that's very difficult, is by making it a little bit easier for us. And the Bible supplies for us things called metaphors and similes. Some of you like rolling your eyes already, like I thought I left that in seventh grade. 
Metaphors and similes are just literary tools. They're writing tools because the Bible is at least a piece of literature. It's absolutely, I believe, more than that. But it's not less than that. It's a piece of literature. It's written by more, more than 40 people over a span of more than, 15, or more than 1,500 years. It has all different types of literature in it. But one of the things the Bible supplies for us are similes and metaphors. What similes and metaphors are, are they help you understand something that's really hard for your mind to grasp by giving you something more relatable. It gives you something familiar that helps you relate that familiar thing to something unfamiliar so you can better understand it. We use things like this all the time. We use similes and metaphors all the time. They were such a good salesman, they could sell sand to someone who lives in the desert. They were, you know, all the different, you know, they wear their heart on there. Now, that's how to help you understand someone who is pretty open emotionally. Now, they don't literally put their heart on their sleeve, but it's a, it's a metaphor to help you understand that. Well, the Bible is loaded with dozens, if not hundreds, of metaphors. Some of them are only used once or twice. Others of them are repeated throughout the Bible from beginning to end. And the reason why the Bible gives us metaphors and similes is because God, in his infinite wisdom, knows how important it is for us to know him accurately, and he also knows how tough that is for us to know accurately the unknowable. We have finite minds. He's infinite. That's like taking a coffee cup and trying to fit all four oceans of the world in that coffee cup. Even if it's a Venti or a Trenta or whatever size coffee cup your brain is, you can't accurately get all four oceans of the world inside that cup. And that's like trying to understand God. There's so much more of him than I can even know in my capacity. And God knows how challenging that can be. So he's given us more relatable ideas, similes, metaphors. In fact, he gave us a human to help us understand him, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. And so it helps us. A good metaphor gives you more than one thing. A good metaphor is like an unending well that the more you think about it, the more you can pull out of it. So what I want to look at is, you know, the Bible uses a lot of different metaphors. You get um, you know, the Lord, uh, what's, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Doesn't mean God's an actual shepherd. But one way we can understand what the Lord is like is through understanding who a shepherd is and what a shepherd does. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I am the light. At one point he says, you are the light of the world. The potter and the clay is a metaphor that we get. We get rock. We get all kinds of other metaphors and imagery in the Bible to help us better understand a God that is infinite by giving us something simple to relate to God. Now, it doesn't mean he's limited to only being like a light or a rock. He's more than that. There are qualities of those things that help us understand him. Now, interestingly enough, the, one of probably the most well-known imagery and metaphors and similes are in Jesus' statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he gives us a little bit more, too. He says, and my father is the yeah, the vine dresser, the gardener. Yeah, the vine. Do you use the word vine dresser commonly? <laughs> I do. I do all the time. You know, I yeah, I'm a professional. I'm a professional triologist. We use it all the time. Um, yeah, that I am the vine. You are the branches. The father is the gardener. Interestingly enough, uh, the tree is the third most mentioned living organism in the whole Bible. God is mentioned the most, humans are mentioned the second, and then the third most frequently, commonly mentioned living thing in the Bible is the tree. It is literally on the first couple pages of the Bible, isn't it? Don't we find trees? God made them, and what's the first major Bible story? What's at the center of it? A tree. Probably at the, 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 the pinnacle of the, of the plot of the Bible is resolved with Jesus hanging on what? A tree. The very last page of the Bible in the end of Revelation talks about the new heaven, the new earth, and the tree of life with the river coming up. The Bible is filled from beginning to end with trees. There's somebody who did a study on it that says every major figure of the Bible, with the exception of Joseph, a tree is central to their plot. I haven't looked at all the different addresses, but they did a whole lot of homework on it. Nearly every writer of the Bible mentions 
trees. And so all I'm hoping to do in this series, we're not going to, and I know you don't believe me, but I promise you, I'm not going to make you look at every scripture in the Bible that has to do with trees and wring every one of them out. We can't do that. If you want to do that, get the study guide. I will give you, in there, there's ammunition to go in that direction if you want to go that way. There's a lot to learn because the Bible, when it repeats something a lot, it really wants us to get it. And what the Bible, what the authors of the Bible want to do is help us understand who God is, how we relate to him, how we grow and change, among other things, by understanding how God created trees to work. Romans 1 says God made created things in such a way that they're autobiographical. He's embedded characteristics about himself into everything that he made so that all creation sings his praises and that none of us have an excuse to say, well, I didn't know what God was like. He says, I've embedded myself in everything that I made. Trees are no different. There are lessons about who God is, how we relate to him, and how we grow and change that God says, and the writers of the Bible say, if you look at a healthy tree, it will give you an easier way to understand some of those more difficult concepts. So we're just going to look narrowly at that these next two weeks. And today, specifically, we're going to look at the three directions a Christian grows. Next week, we'll look about the order in which Christians grow. Today, the three directions that Christian grows. And we're going to tie into the metaphor of the tree. And I'll give you the big idea right out of the gate so that you understand this. Here's where we're going. A healthy Christian grows in three directions. A healthy Christian, much like a healthy tree, is growing down. We're growing up. And we're growing out, which is a terrible thing to talk about at the beginning of the year. You're like, I want to grow narrow, or I don't want to grow out. But a healthy Christian, much like a healthy tree, is growing down, then where? And out. We're growing down, up, out. You got, have you got it? We can dismiss now if you get it. You got it. Now, why is that so easy to get? Well, because even the youngest among us understand some basic things about trees and plants. We know seeds, soil, watering, wading, and my other favorite W word, weeding. Every child should learn that as soon as possible. We understand tree trunks and leaves and branches and seasons and leaves falling and fruit growing. Even the youngest among us have a basic understanding of those things. That's why the imagery and the metaphor of the tree is so useful to help us understand how do I relate to God? And in some ways, the Bible says the way you relate to God is like a branch relates to a tree trunk. Trees help us understand what Christian growth looks like because in other parts of the Bible, the Bible says you're like a whole tree, but a healthy tree that's planted really close to a water source that has roots that can constantly access that water so that the trunk can grow, the branches can grow out, and that the branches can produce fruit and hold birds. And these things are supposed to be basic and simple because it takes something really abstract that what does... What does progress in Christianity look like? What is a successful Christian? What should I see when I look in my spiritual mirror? It answers those questions for you. What if I don't see those things? It answers those questions for you. How do I relate to Jesus? How do I, like a branch relates to the tree trunk. In fact, let's go there right now. This is kind of our anchor scripture. You'll hear probably a part of this each of the next three weeks. But we'll go to the anchor scripture. And because the beautiful thing is about because these metaphors are stretched through the whole Bible, there's so many different places we can go to flesh this out. But here's what Jesus said about the relationship between himself, his father, and us. In one of his last sermons to his disciples, John 15, we'll just read verses uh, 1 through 8 today. I'm the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Now, I just want to let you relax. Some of you have heard a sermon on these couple of verses and you're already sweating with anxiety. We're not going to teach on these two verses today. But already we see a differentiation 
in the different roles and assignments of God and Jesus and who we are on the tree. And the Father is the gardener. And a good gardener cuts into living things for one reason, to make them more fruitful. And so we see some of that here, and we can talk more about branches that don't produce fruit, being cut off, and all that other fun stuff on a different Sunday. But verse 3, verse 3, Jesus says, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. And here's one of the, you want to get three or four keywords to Christianity. Circle the first word of verse 4 in your Bible. It'll be okay. I don't have it. It's digitally. Highlight it something. Here's, you want, here's some of the hardest work of Christianity. You see the first word of verse 4? That's, that's, that's a central word to being a Christian. You see what it is? What's that word? Remain. Now, that seems like the easiest work in the world. How many calories does it take to remain? But in that one word, if I can get nothing else into your mind today, when you think about what it means to be a healthy Christian, it means you get connected to who you're supposed to be and you stay there. That's what it means to remain. To be where you're supposed to be and not move from that place. And you think about it. You cut a branch off a tree, it is dead and it's only going to get deader. He says, remain in me. And what's the blessing? If you remain in me, I remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now, he's going to say it two more times, two different ways. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And he keeps going. Verse 6. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I have heard that verse taken just for a long walk. That's where the whole name it, claim it, say it, spray it, blab it, and grab it theology comes from. Like at some point, God is subject to you. And unfortunately, sometimes we throw that out and then we don't grab the truth in there, but that's a different sermon for a different series. Verse eight, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Do you see how all through these verses, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand how they relate to him, who he is, how they stay connected. What are the results of staying in Jesus? How do you grow spiritually? What spiritual? It's all in there. And he makes it concrete by saying, look at a healthy tree. There's the vine, and I could spend a lot of time telling you why these two words are interchangeable. I'm just going to ask you to trust me this morning. You can dig through my notes and see where I get there. But if the vine doesn't grab, you think of it like tree trunk. Okay? He's saying a couple facts that you just need to see here. This is not the whole sermon. I just want to make sure you understand. Here's a couple facts. And this tree, this is not a tree. This is the tree he's talking about. The tree. The tree that matters a whole lot. And in this metaphor, Jesus says there's specific ways the parts of a tree relate to each other. And he says, I am like the vine. I'm the trunk of the tree. But you're part of the tree too. But you're not the root system. You're not the seeds. You're not the fruit. You are the what? You're the branches. Now, what's he driving at here? Interest of time, let's go right for it. The branch absolutely, totally, unavoidably depends on the trunk for its existence. But the trunk does not depend on the branch. What Jesus is saying is the way you need to relate to me if you really want to grow is you must understand you are completely, totally dependent upon me for life. Totally dependent on me. You're dependent upon me for your provision. You're dependent upon me for your gifts and talents, for your health, for your relationships, for your hope, for your purpose, for your identity. You are totally, totally dependent upon me. And you have to understand that is the complete opposite of everything we're trying to do with our kids. 
I am in no way, shape, or form together with my wife, Kendra. We are not raising our boys to be completely dependent upon us. Heavens no. Good parenting in our minds is we want to raise these boys to at one point be independent of our provision in the name of Jesus, of our chauffeur services, of our hygiene accountability, of all the things. For us, we want to have a day where we can say, well done, Kendra, well done, Phil. These boys are now independent. They don't depend upon us for their lives. And then you come into Christianity, and what's the journey? Become, give up independence for dependence. And you do understand that in both of these pursuits, there's bound to be tension because in the one way you are who you are because you were raised to be independent, and yet you are who you are in Christ because you forfeit independence for dependence. And it will mess with your mind. Some of you live with so much anxiety, you know why you don't depend on God. You depend on you. And that's why you're anxious. What if my job dries up? Well, God will provide. No, he won't. You live in constant fear of running out of money, running out of health, running out of time. You know why? In the core of core of your hearts, you don't relate to God like he's the tree trunk. You think you're the trunk and he's the branches. And if I perform and I have all these other things, then out of that will grow a healthy relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. Dependence upon me looks like saying, my hope, my purpose, my identity is secure in Christ regardless of the circumstances of life. I am the branch, he's the trunk. Jesus wants us to understand that. He also wants to understand God, his father, is the gardener. And he does two things. If there's no fruit being produced from the branch, he cuts it off. He also wants you to understand that sometimes you will see great fruit in your life. And Jesus tells us that there are times when the gardener will even cut back or cut off fruitful things so you can be more fruitful. And that's pretty tough. Generally, I understand when God comes something, it cuts something out of my life that's dead and producing no fruit. What's harder is when something looks like it's producing good fruit, and it is, God cuts it off. God stops it. God transitions it. That season comes to a close. That person moves out of your life. That opportunity ends. That thing dries up, and you say, wait a minute. Maybe God's mad at me. And maturity in Christianity helps you understand the difference between God cutting off a dead thing and God pruning back a good thing both of which will help you be more fruitful. Jesus says, apart from me, you can't produce fruit. You know what he wants you to know? Producing fruit's not up to you. Well, what's the fruit? It's love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. There's lots of fruit, lots of evidence. And what Jesus says is maturity in me, you have to come in place saying, I can't mechanically, externally make my heart feel a kind of love that's not in there. If I'm going to love like God loves, it's going to have to come from God. I can't do it. But it also means that if you're the branch, fruit's going to grow inevitably. If you could grab that, it'll change your whole life. Religion says you have to go through all these different fertilizers and exercises and climate control, this and that and the other. You have to force your heart in a direction it should go, restrain it in a direction in order for fruit to appear in your life. And Jesus says, apart from me, there are branches in my yard right now that have been laying there for weeks. None of them are sprouting leaves. None of them are growing apples. They're just laying there waiting to be picked up by the people who are mow our yard in March. I could do it, but I pay someone else to do it so they can come do it. I'll just let them stack up. I don't expect any of those branches that have been severed from the trees they were on to grow fruit. It's that simple. Why do we think that apart from Christ, we're going to be loving? The way that he, well, you can be loving exactly as long as it's mechanical and external and forced. You can. But it won't be perfect and it'll fade Or if it's real, you'll just be so bitter and resentful over a while that people don't respond to your mechanical love and you're just so bitter. I've been being this way for all these years and you haven't responded to me and I would really like to say and I can't and because I'm restraining myself, I'm so miserable. But I'm loving. By God? No, not by God. (laughs) By you. Enough on that. Let's keep moving. He wants us to, to see that we're the branches. He's the trunk. 
He wants us to see, he wanted his disciples to see that the gospel message they had already heard had begun a work of purifying and cleaning in them. And we talked about that already. And here's the mouthful. I'll read what I wrote. I'll explain it. We'll move on. What you see in this is that the Christian growth that Jesus is describing, true Christian growth, that means progress in Christ-likeness. Jesus would use the word fruitfulness. You see more of the evidence of Jesus' character replacing the evidence of your fleshly character. That's what fruitfulness looks like. He says it's organic, it's internal, and it's inevitable when you look at it this way. If you are in Christ, he is the vine, he is the trunk, you are the branch. If you're in him, then the roots and the trunk provide all of the nutrients for the fruit, you just bear it. Your job is to remain in him and the fruit will come. Does that mean there's no work or effort? Well, the work or effort is to cooperate, to surrender, and to remain. And it will produce in you love, joy, peace, all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's organic. It's internal. In other words, the true Christian change is not mechanical, external religion where you're forcing your heart to feel a way it doesn't want to feel or you're restraining your heart from feeling a way it shouldn't feel. And that's a lot of what you'll hear in Christian growth talk. Go home and stop these things. Go home and start these things. What if I don't feel like it? Self-control. You're asking yourself to fix yourself. And the problem is that our self is the one that needs fixed. And here's what will happen. It'll work for a while and you'll feel good until the day it doesn't work and then you'll feel worse than you did before you started. It will regress. It will fail. And even if you can succeed in mechanically restraining your heart, you'll be so bitter and resentful about the restraint you have to have that you'll become such a miserable person. Life won't even be worth living for you. What he wants us to see is that when you remain in him, the growth we all aspire to as Christians occurs inevitably and organically, almost irresistibly, as you remain in Christ. So what does that mean to remain in Christ? How do I do that? Glad you asked. Here's three ways that a Christian, three directions a Christian grows, okay? Healthy roots grow down towards the water. Christians grow where down we grow up we grow out. Like a healthy tree, Christians grow down. And when you think about a tree, that's like the root system. Healthy roots grow down towards water. And healthy Christians are putting down roots that dig deep towards the water. And where do we get this idea from? And what is the water? Fortunately, the Bible supplies that to us in the form of a metaphor in Psalm 1. Very first Psalm talks a lot about trees, and it compares two groups, it compares two kinds of living, blessed living to wicked living. Blessed people, happy people, content people to unhappy, wicked people. And it gives us a metaphor for both. Let me read it to you. Psalm chapter 1, I won't read the whole Psalm, just verses 2 through 4. He starts off by talking about the happy, blessed person, the happy, blessed life. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. I'll give you a hint. I'm going to ask you a question in a second. What is the water that the roots reach for? The answer is right in the middle of verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like, here's your simile, they are like what? Trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. That's crazy to me. I don't know any tree that bears fruit in every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. I don't know about you, but sign me up for that. And the Bible says I can have it with the right root system. And roots need water. And it even tells me what the water is to supply my roots with the nutrients that they need to live that kind of a life. It's all in this section. But he doesn't leave us hanging there. He continues, verse 4. Not the wicked, not the, not the wicked life. The wicked life is not like a tree planted by the riverbank. The wicked life is like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. Now, other than Wes, we might not use the word chaff regularly around here. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see there's a metaphor 
for two kinds of living. There's not four, there's not five. Jesus simplifies this. There's the blessed, happy, content life. And then there's the other life, which he says is, is the wicked, unhappy, even if they look happy, <laughs> the discontent life. And he says, on the very basic level, one's like a tree, the other one's like chaff. Do you know the primary difference between these two in the story? One gets blown around by the wind, the other doesn't. That means one has something that the other doesn't have that helps it during wind. What's the difference between a tree and chaff? Roots. The reason why chaff is worthless, among other things, there's other things, makes it worthless. It doesn't have roots. It literally blows wherever the wind takes it. It has no roots. Whenever life makes it bend or move, it moves in whatever direction the current of life is. And he says, if you want to live the blessed life, you have to have a root system. What makes that tree tall and healthy and wide and able to bear fruit, none of that happens without the right root system. Trees have two kinds of roots. I don't know this stuff firsthand. I had to consult. I, I was in my notes. I had said treeologist. Someone told me it's an arborist. So I like treeologist better. Not a real word, but that's okay. We pastors can do that. Arborist is maybe the better word. There I came across in my studies over the last month or so on this some, uh, some pretty advanced arborists who are also believers who have done a lot of work on unpacking the metaphor of the tree um, and providing things that we wouldn't, nearly, uh, wouldn't ordinarily understand. Let me read to you one quote from Dr. Mann. A tree's roots has two important purposes. First, roots ground the tree so it can stand firm and strong with its leaves reaching out towards the sun for photosynthesis. Now that reminded me of third grade. I knew that much, right? Second thing roots do, they collect and transfer the water and minerals that the tree needs to convert into food. Fun fact, most of the tree's roots are found in the top 6 to 24 inches of soil and spread out over an area two to four times the diameter of the tree crown. A tree's root system is made of two kinds of roots, large perennial roots and smaller feeder roots. The large woody perennial roots help anchor and support the tree. These are the ones that sometimes you'll actually see in part above the surface or over the lawn. You can't, you got to be careful when you mow. Those are the ones that are, their primary purpose is to make sure that when life moves on that tree, it doesn't fall on your house. Some of you walked with me for a while, and you know that some of those roots failed us miserably a few years ago. But that's what those roots are supposed to do. In other words, you, like a healthy tree, need strong roots because life is going to blow on you constantly. And what's going to keep you up is not your opinions, not your feelings, not your bank account, not even your health or your beauty or your success, or your relationships. What will keep you grounded is having roots in the right things. The, the smaller feeder roots uh, transport water, minerals, and oxygen. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the larger roots transport the water, minerals, and oxygen absorbed from the smaller feeder roots that grow outward and upward from these larger roots. In the winter, food is stored in the root system to help sustain the tree until spring. Condense it down for me, Pastor. Roots do two things. They keep you, they anchor the tree and allow it to grow tall and keep it steady in times of duress. And they also dig deep in search of water to provide the tree what it needs to remain alive throughout the year. Like a healthy tree, if you don't want to be chaff, it means you put down roots. A Christian is not just about growing up, it's about digging deep. And I will tell you this, I've walked with a lot of you. Some of you I've walked with almost the whole 12 years I've been here as your pastor. And there's not one of you that I've walked with for any length of time that I have not walked with you when life has blown on your life. And it's pushed you in a direction you didn't want it to go. Whether it was the loss of a baby, whether it was the loss of a parent, whether it was some tragedy that struck your family, whether it was a, a financial, a financial uh, struggle or a challenge, you lost a job, you had a, a hit to your earnings, you had an injury in the family that changed things about the way that finance worked, an adult child that turned away from the Lord or turned away from you, relationships that cut you deep, being falsely accused of things or being exposed for things you really did and having to deal with the shame and the embarrassment of that. I've walked with many of you through trials in your marriage and trials in your life and trials just in health, and I've walked with you through that. And what I can say is 
I still see you standing. And I see you standing not because you have such great pastors. I see you standing not because Echo Community Church is just this, you know, this enigma in Christianity. It's the only place in the world. I see you standing because you have roots anchored in the water that Psalm 1 is talking about. That water is that you have meditated on the word of the Lord day and night, and you have delighted yourself in the written word of God. That is what is unchanging. What every Disney movie and what our culture will tell you, and I watch Disney movies sometimes, so okay, I'm not trying to, listen, some of you I know I can talk about anything but Disney, and you're going to be okay. So I avoid Disney, I avoid Trump. I don't talk about either of those things, because then everybody will be mad. Well, what Disney movies say is, here's a solution to all of your things in life. Look deep in your heart. I talk to people all the time. I listen to people who are convinced, this is who I am. Well, where did you come up with that idea? Well, this is how I feel. I just feel this in my heart. Well, that's real, and that might be true. Here's the problem. The Bible says our hearts, above all things, are wicked and deceitful. And the other thing I know about your feelings, they change. They're real. My feelings are real, and my feelings change. But if my roots are in my feelings, you know what my life is going to look like? Every time the wind blows, I'm just going to bend in whatever direction it pushes me because of my feelings. But what happens when your feelings change? Then you've got to bend over this way. And you're just chasing around something. Don't you want to anchor your life on roots that have something more permanent than that? The psalmist says, you're like a tree planted by water, and he tells you what the water is. It is The blessedness of this is someone who has rooted themselves in meditating. They delight themselves in the written word of the Lord, and on it they meditate day and night. Let me make it very simple. You want to dig deep? There's one way. You dig deep and you root yourself in a deep, personal, ongoing understanding of the written word of God. Period. Paragraph. Well, I'm not really much of a reader, but I go to church all the time. See, that's a problem. How do you know if you're getting good preaching if you don't know the word? How do you know? Our country is filled with problems because people stop thinking you'll just eat what anybody feeds you. Talking to a friend this morning from the Midwest, no way he will watch this. Okay, there's no way he's going to watch this service. No way. We've, in what we believe about God, we have drifted over the last two decades. But he's crazy smart. I won't reveal too much about what he does because you could find him pretty easily, so I won't reveal that. But here's one of the things he said to me this morning that really gripped my heart. He said, one of the reasons why I've become disillusioned with organized Christianity is I watch how people in the name of Jesus will overlook a person's character, overlook their cruelty, overlook all the sin in their life because they happen to agree with them on one thing they stand on and they'll just make them the new poster child for Christianity. And he said, how can people who claim to follow the God of the Bible wrap themselves around people who look nothing like Jesus? And I said, that's a fair point. And the reason that happens is because we don't know this anymore. We follow our feelings, and we're susceptible to people teaching us things that sound good and feel good and feel right. Trust me, I've run into enough believers who on a particular issue, if I push too hard on it, they'll go dig around until they find another speaker and say, well, this speaker says, are you searching for the truth? Are you searching to ease your guilty conscience with someone who soft pedals on a part of the Bible that makes them uncomfortable? I'm putting a standard up that I have to be measured against myself. Our elders know this. It's not happened often, but occasionally, in the 12 years I've been a pastor here, someone's brought up an accusation, you're teaching heresy, that's not what the Bible says. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you brought that up. Because if I'm teaching heresy, I need to be held accountable for that. I'm responsible for souls. And our elders would tell you, in those moments, I get them involved and say, listen, here's what's been said. Fortunately, here we have an archive of everything that I've spoken, everything that I've said. I even put my notes out. Go through it. Seriously, go through it. You mature men of Jesus who have walked with him longer than I have, you need to look into this. And for the sake of everybody, you need to get to the bottom of whether what I taught is scripturally solid or whether it's not. And that's not for show. Because your roots matter. 
Your roots matter. But how can you even begin to know if what you're hearing is accurate if you're not rooted in the word of God? And what does he say? The blessed person is one who delights themselves in the law of God. They meditate. doesn't say they read it. You can read it and have it do nothing for you. Haven't you ever read something and you forgot about it 10 seconds? You forgot about it while you were reading it. It happens. That's doing no good. Well, I know I ought to read my Bible, but I'm not, so I'll read Leviticus right before I go to sleep. That's a losing strategy. It's not about how much you read. It's about reading enough to think about it. There's only two times of the day the Bible says you should be meditating on the Word of God. Only two times. You can do this. You know what the two times are? Day and night. All I know is that it's telling you what you think about regularly will determine the blessedness of your life. And the more you can think about the things of the Lord, the less trouble you get yourself into. There's no shortcut to it. Well, I don't really like to read the Word, so I put it into serving. Nope, can't shortcut this one. I don't really like to read, so I give. Well, thank you for giving, but you can't. I'm not asking you to just read. I'm not even asking you to just study. Studying without meditating is just going to make you arrogant because you think you know more than the next person. I know a lot of people who know a whole lot, and they want everybody to know how much they know, and they know how much they know. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. You want to grow as a believer? Here's the thing you can't skip. Your roots have to be rooted and anchored in your ongoing, daily, incremental study of the Bible. Okay, pastor, I'll rewrite my New Year's resolutions and I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Let me help you with that. I'm not anti-New Year's resolution. If you were part of our uh, Facebook Live opportunity last week, I shared with you in more detail about how I approach them. Here's what I've learned. When I make a decision today for something I'm going to accomplish 365 days from now, and it's just a straight line, what usually happens is that's great as long as I keep it up. But the moment that it's like a pass-fail thing in my mind. And the moment I miss a day or I slip up somewhere, it's like the whole thing is lost till next January. By December, I even forgot about it. I would rather you decide, you know, Pastor, as you're talking, I recognize I need to be better rooted in my understanding and what I think about God through his word. And I'm going to do something about that today. And then do that thing. And you'll probably win. And then if God gives you tomorrow, renew that commitment for tomorrow. Most days you'll win, some days you'll lose, but if you lose, you get another shot tomorrow. Rather than saying, I'm going to read through all of the Old Testament four times in this calendar. That's great if you're wired that way, but listen, if you set yourself up that way, the day you miss, you're going to feel awful. It's going to turn into legalism, and you won't want to get back on that bike and ride. Why do that to yourself? It's great to make plans, but hold them lightly if the Lord wills. The only day you can do something about is today. Now, you can learn from yesterday, you can plan for tomorrow, but you can't really act in those areas. The day you can act on is today. Everything you've ever done for the Lord happened on a today. Healthy roots grow down towards water. I've got to hurry to close. Second thing, healthy vines or trunks grow up towards the light. Christians grow down like trees have roots that grow down towards the water. So a healthy Christian life is one that is rooted and anchored in thinking regularly, deeply, and delightfully. I didn't even get to talk about that one but delightfully about the written word of God because the written word of God introduces you to the living word of God. Okay. Second thing, healthy vines grow up towards the light. I learned a new fancy word this week from the triolo- uh, the arborist, and I'll read that in a second. Let me connect these ideas. Two things Jesus, or one thing Jesus said in John 8, and another thing John writes in 1 John 1. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am, here's another metaphor, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Here's what Jesus is helping you understand. Like a healthy tree, trees need two things to grow. You need water, you need light. Those are the two things you need. We've talked about you get water from the roots. You get light from the sun or a light source. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a healthy tree, I am the light source. I'm the true light source. First John uh, 1, 5 through 7, Jesus says, or John says, if we're living in the light as God's in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. Jesus says, I'm the light, and what makes me unique is there's no darkness in me at all. Healthy Christians are growing up, but we're growing up directionally. We're growing up towards what? 
All right. I don't know if you ever did these experiments in school, but there was a, I learned another awesome word from this arborist, Dr. Mann. Have you ever noticed how trees and other plants bend toward light? It's a process called, now listen how smart I am, I can pronounce this, phototropism. Like that? Yeah. I didn't come up with it. As trees grow, they need sunlight to be able to make food and energy in photosynthesis. Do you remember that word? Yes, I do. This is very important for our little seedlings to germinate and grow into saplings. But even big, mature trees will bend in the direction of the strongest light. How does it work? A growth hormone called auxin, A-U-X-I-N, collects on the darkest side of each tree stem. And it tells all those plant cells on the side away from the sun to grow faster and to become longer. The result is a plant that can weave through a canopy maze to reach out to these energizing sun rays. In other words, God designed hormones within a tree to be able to bend the tree when necessary towards light and away from darkness. Let me make this point very briefly. Every day of your life, You'll have opportunities internally and externally to bend. We bend when we have to make a choice, but not just any choice, a choice with moral implications. You will be faced with things you didn't plan for, you didn't prepare for, and you couldn't control, or things that you knew about that came your way and you knew that they were coming and they're under your control. But you have plenty of opportunities every day of your life, morning, noon, and night, to bend. And in those moments, the Bible teaches us that healthy trees, when they need to bend, bend towards what? Light. Now let me say different. Bend towards who? Christ. Well, if they're not bending towards Christ, they're bending away from him towards darkness. And Jesus doesn't leave this gray area. Jesus says, in me, there's no darkness at all. And what he's sharing with us in these verses is that growing up into a healthy, mature Christian, yes, it begins and it must have a root network that connects to the water of God's word that informs and guides the choices we need to make when it's time to bend. Now, I don't want to go too deep in this because I don't speak about it often. But where do you choose to bend when it comes to humor? Jokes that are exchanged around the office or between friends or on social media. You're probably not on always on the, you know, pure Christian joke site. What do you do in those moments where there's an opportunity to participate in humor and you have to bend towards the darkness or towards the light? What about your imagination? Where your thoughts, where you permit your thoughts to go? I know most of you are only in the pasture of holiness. You don't even need outside help. I don't need outside help to push my imagination or to let my imagination run in a direction it ought not go. Whether it's lust or profanity or daydreaming about what you'd really say if you were given the chance. How about when you have to bend as it relates to how you interact with people that make it impossible for you to like them? What about in how you choose to entertain yourself? And I know I don't spend a lot of time on Sundays talking to you about, like what I grew up in church, it was secular music or Christian music, and all secular music was bad, and all Christian music was righteous, and it just wasn't the truth. I grew up on some rough Christian music, man. (laughs) And for me, that's always been... A struggle. I, I, I love music. I'm a musician. I love all kinds of music. I love deep dives into music. I, you know, I had an ex, you know vinyl records and digital music and CDs and cassettes and all that kind of stuff and sheet music and um, there's different genres of music that I just, I can get immersed in music and I would I t- can tell you as a result of that 
What I listen to absolutely has an effect on my thought life. Absolutely it does. A lot of times I got sucked in by the musical nature of the music, the chord progressions, the arrangements. And as the lyrics would sit in my mind, I'd like to tell you that I can't recall, and probably you, you can probably sing the lyrics to a thousand different songs right now. Or more. And yet it's hard for us to recall the Bible. <laughs> our minds, you, our minds, and it's always been a challenge for me because the, sometimes the more that as I wanted to grow in Christ and I had to look more critically about what, some of these things I was inviting into my mind that got stuck there because of the music and would go through my mind all the time, sometimes at the worst possible times. I won't tell you any stories about that right now. We don't have time. I wrestled, you know why I wrestled with it? Because I really, really liked it. And I wanted to come up with ways of my own heart to sanitize it. Or I wanted a more black and white line and sharpie in the Bible to say, and what I've learned, it's a personal journey with you and Jesus. God deals with us all about everything in an order that he chooses. Well, pastor, God hasn't dealt with me about it yet. No worries. He will, though. You remain in him, he'll deal with it all. And I think the best way I could summarize where I've landed on some of this, and it's still a daily struggle for me, it really is. I had to first recognize the impact that what I listen to has on my thought life. Second, I had to recognize how it could impact my ability to lead people with integrity. I had a conversation with uh, one of the young people here recently. They brought it up to me. They were talking about their Christmas presents. They got a music subscription at Apple Music. And I have one too. And so we were, I just said, hey, well, what, what groups do you like? And the person kind of froze. And they're like, okay, I'm... They're talking to Phil, now they're talking to Pastor. <laughs> that already showed me something. For the person who says, it doesn't bother me at all. When it doesn't bother you, it flows out naturally. When you already recognize there's probably at least some moral compass I should be following in here, and they freeze, I'm like, this is cool. And what they're going to say and how they're going to say it is going to give me a window. And, and they started floating out, and they were struggling. They were like, uh... Uh, fourth day, yeah, I said, you mean third day? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have one of their songs in my play. And eventually they started going down the, you know, they started going down all the different genres and things. And I could tell they were leaving a few things out. And I said, well, hey, well, what about, oh, yeah, 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 love him. Love him. And at the end of it, they, they were just like, oh, I, I thought you'd be disappointed when I shared some of these things. I said, I think the better question for you is can Jesus listen along to all those things with you? Because as I read my Bible, one of the things it tells me is that I should be constantly in prayer. Pray always. And if that's true, then that doesn't mean that prayer just looks like me kneeling and closing my eyes. It means that as I'm going about my day, my days can be an extension of my prayers. And if I should always be prayerful and I want Jesus to participate in that, then I shouldn't engage myself in any conversation, any entertainment where he can't participate. And so one of the things I just said, hey, is that something you, you know, I, think, I said, I think the better exercise for you is to figure out if we're growing towards the light and Jesus says there's no darkness in me at all, then I ought not go into any rooms where Jesus can't shine his light into. Entertainment, humor. Pastor, that's so legalistic and so hard. Friend, it is an incremental daily journey that God will deal with you at a pace that is wise for him and you. My standard doesn't have to be your standard. And my standard is not easy for me. He's dealt with all the easy stuff. That's all been dealt with. It's the hard stuff. And I have to answer those things in the relationship with Jesus, and so do you. But I know this. I know that I want to be a healthy tree. I want to be a healthy Christian. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that the more distance I can put between me and darkness, the more healthy I'll be. It's the difference between saying, how close to the darkness can I get before I'm really in trouble, as opposed to saying, how far away from the darkness can I stay to really be in the light? These are all questions. Friend, you have access to entertainment options today that they never had when I grew up. At your fingertips, you can watch nearly any movie, be on anybody's social media stream, things in front of you all the time. Grow when life pushes or pulls you to bend in a direction. Grow in the direction of the light. Final thing. Branches grow out. Healthy, 
branches grow out towards others. There's a parable I'll talk about more in detail next week, probably. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Have you heard that one? Mustard's delicious. Look, if you don't know, mustard is delicious. It's really good stuff. There's all kinds of different mustard. John W. and I could talk about mustard varieties all morning. This parable is near and dear to my heart. There's a little detail in this parable that just didn't pop into my brain until this year. I don't know why I never saw this before. Let me read it to you. It's in Matthew. It's also in Mark. Here's another illustration Jesus used. My voice just changed. That's pretty cool. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. And here's the detail. And birds come and make nests in its branches. That's always been in my Bible. But that's never really been in the sermon. Okay, well, maybe it's just in Matthew. Maybe Mark recorded it differently. So let's look at what Mark said. The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches. In other words, healthy branches grow out. And birds can make nests in its shade. Okay, Jesus must have said it because everybody who got their firsthand account to a gospel writer included the part that healthy branches not only grow out towards other trees, but they're supposed to be healthy so that outsiders can come in and make their home in that ecosystem. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. So this parable tells us that healthy Christian branches, we're going to be a healthy branch. It's not just about a tree that grows deep. That's foundational. And that provides us the guidance to be able to grow up and bend towards the light. But there's also a growing out, and the, the branches are growing out directionally towards two things, it tells me. They're growing out towards other branches and other trees. But they're also growing out to invite outsiders to come in and find life in the tree. Let me read this to you. This is from the treeologist, Dr. Mann. It might seem strange to think of trees talking to each other. You're not kidding. I was, this is why I didn't even want to dig into trees, because I'm like, if someone starts writing about trees having feelings and voices and stuff, I'm out. I'm not that guy. This is fascinating to me. It might seem strange to think of trees talking to each other, but in a way, that's exactly what they do. Trees have lively social networks. Stay with me. helping one another adapt to their environment and grow healthy and strong. There are fungi called mycelium, which travel back and forth, linking the trees together to share information and nutrients. When one tree gets sick, the other trees help that sick tree get better by sending its special sugars through their root systems. Standing together, a forest helps create its own special climate that shields individual trees from the harsh weather. The reason tree branches grow out is to seek the community of other trees to thrive. Part of us branching out happens right within our faith community. And that's hard for some people wired like me. And you say, I've been hurt by other trees. I'm pulling the branches in. But the Bible teaches us that the true faith community is one where when we have a sick tree, we don't cut it down. We send out the special sugars to say, we're with you. We got you. We've created an environment here where we're better together. And that means every single tree in this forest has something to contribute and something to receive. Something to contribute to, to the forest and something to receive from the forest. And so part of branching out means our faith community can be one and should be one where you're not only here worshiping, or giving, but that you're able to relate to at least somebody else, some other people inside of the church, where you can find meaningful friendships, where you can find meaningful people to live life with who share your faith and who are adding value to your walk with Jesus, and you can add value to theirs. The other thing it says is that as trees branch out, they're supposed to make it easy for outsiders to come in. And friends, that's something I need to be aware of in my life. It's something I put activity and action behind. I'm aware that as 
I grow healthy in Jesus, there is a desire in me to branch out. I have a desire to do that. In fact, most of us do. When you hear about branching out, reaching out to others, reaching, no one says, oh, that's a terrible idea. We say, yeah. But I'm too busy. But how much does it cost? But I've been hurt before. But it's a good idea. But I, but, but, but. listen, that's the journey we're on together. We can't just skip over it. We're on it. And I believe the Lord's given me some very clear directions in which Echo is going to branch out. We're going to spread our branches further out to families with children with special needs. To, uh, we are in the process, the, the beginning phases of investigating what it will take for us to add to our ministry a full-blown organization devoted to mental health care, to providing licensed Christian psychologists who can provide counsel to people in this community for their mental health needs, where they can be seen uh, by men and women who, who will love them and who will care for them and who will treat them in the very best way possible, but where our faith is on limits and where we can help them in that way come into a place where God can help restore their mind because the mental health thing is real and we want to be in that space. There's some more specific things and some runways that we have. Some of these are big long pathway type things and other things are more today oriented. But I know that that won't grab your heart unless your heart's already grabbed to say, part of my Christian life looks like digging deep roots. It looks like bending towards the light and it looks like branching out. Because when we, if I know our hearts are all bent towards branching out to others already, then when we bring things we can do collectively together, it's gonna be an easy go for us. You're gonna get the vision behind that. So here's how we wanna end this morning. Worship team's gonna come. We're gonna pray together and give you an opportunity to let this water into your heart. But again, maybe today you can just dial in on, probably all of us see these activities in our life in some way, shape, or form. We never outgrow them. You don't stop digging roots. You don't start, stop bending towards the light. You don't stop strip branching out. But maybe there's one of those particular areas, areas that's maybe not advancing in the direction that you'd like it to see, or, or, or you need to put a little more intention into that. Why don't you listen in to what the Lord's saying to you right now? Maybe, maybe today is a day you need to anchor yourself more intentionally in his word. Maybe today is a day where you're aware of the direction you've been bending and you want to see that change. Maybe today is a day where you feel God reminding you about branching out. Maybe there's just someone in the church you've wanted to introduce yourself to for a while and you just haven't gotten around to it or somebody you know on their surface and you just say, oh, it'd be great to just connect with them. Maybe today's the day you make that introduction or you make that invitation. It doesn't have to cost you money. Um, maybe there's an idea that you've had about branching out in a way to invite others in through something that you do or something that you write or something that you start or someplace that you serve. Listen to those things today. Say yes to that today. And renew that commitment tomorrow if the Lord gives. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. First and foremost, I want to make sure everybody in this room has been given an opportunity to be saved by the grace of God through putting your faith in Jesus. That's where this begins. It, Romans 11 talks a little bit about it, what it means to be a in another way, a, a branch or a vine that's been woven back into, grafted back into a root. And even though Paul's talking about Israel and Gentiles, there's a part where he says, listen, if the root is holy and you're a branch on that tree, you're holy too, not because of your branchiness, but because of the holiness of the roots. That's part of the exchange that we make. If you're ready today to lay down life as you know it, to receive forgiveness and new life through Christ and to begin this incremental, ongoing, daily journey of health and Christian growth. Here's where it begins. It begins with a confession of what you believe and what you're repenting from. There's a confession of God that says, I believe I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Can't save myself. I'm a sinner and I believe you will save me, Jesus. You will. And I believe that you can if I only ask. And today I trust you and I ask you to save me. If you believe that and you confess that to him, he will hear you, he will save you, he will forgive you, he will send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and his Holy Spirit living in you is your connection to that, is your connection to that vine, is your connection to the, to the trunk of that tree that the Holy Spirit brings with him all of the character of Jesus living in you, growing in you, 
traveling up through the roots of who you are and incrementally daily producing new fruit in your life, you'll see a new kind of love, a new kind of peace, a new kind of joy, a new kind of kindness that's otherworldly. So long as in this commitment today, you understand you're surrendering to his lordship. That you're, to use language we introduced this morning, that you're ready to give up independence for dependence. If that's what your heart wants, just tell Jesus right now. He is listening. You can say a prayer. Dear Jesus, I need to be saved because I'm a sinner. I need to make a life change today. My life as I live it right now needs to be laid down. And I want to receive that exchange. I want to pick up. I want to receive. I want to grab onto a new life. Be a new creature. A new creation. So today I confess to you I have sinned sinned repeatedly and sinned off and I am sorry. Forgive me, Jesus. I put my faith and my trust in you, Jesus. I receive your Holy Spirit in my life and I exchange my dead life for your living life. You are the Lord and I'm not. So today I make myself dependent upon you and I give up my previous life of living the way I see fit. And now I align myself with you. I look forward to this daily journey by which you make me healthy and holy in you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, you are saved. You don't have to do anything else for Jesus to save you. I would love to celebrate with you. If you prayed that prayer with me and you're here in this room today, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me. You can put your hand right back down. But who prayed with me this morning? One, two, three. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, we lay our hearts before you today again, and we want to be healthy. We want to grow and change the way you want us to grow and change. Thank you for making it more relatable to us by understanding roots and vines and branches. Lord, may we represent you well in the areas where you lead us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.